as I um, invite the bell uh, for the beginning of our sitting, uh, just as I picked it up, an auspicious rainbow just appeared outside. Not an unusual occurrence here, but it's, the timing is quite beautiful.
you would just take a look at this small verse, which most of you are familiar with, the verse that appears on the Han, the percussion instrument that calls us to, to practice. Uh, the image that you see, it's rather small, I know, is uh, the Han at outside the Zendo at Tassahara. But say these, uh, these words with me. Great is the matter of birth and death. All is impermanent, quickly passing. Awake, awake each one. Don't waste this life. Let's say it again. And this time, we're going to add precious life at the end. Great is the matter of birth and death. All is impermanent, quickly passing. Awake, awake, each one. Don't waste this precious life. This precious life. <clears throat> As most of you know, uh, these are the things that I've been uh, reflecting on uh, in this, this past week. We had Suzanne's um, uh, very generous and a beautiful inquiry last week on Rohatsu, the day that we celebrate as the Buddha's Day of Enlightenment, the 8th of December. And then the next day, on the 9th, I offered my Way Seeking Mind talk on the way to Dharma Transmission and spoke about how my own practices unfolded over these many, many years on the 9th. And then the next, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, there was the 7th and the 8th. Um, and then a couple of days later on the 10th uh, was my birthday as I entered my 8th decade, which is <laughs> a kind of an interesting way to say it. It ups the ante a little bit. But each of these things calls us, I think, to uh, this great matter, which is the essence of, or the heart of, our Zen practice, the great matter of, of birth and death. It also harkens back to the Buddha's original story as a a prince who was protected and quite privileged, his heart wasn't at rest and he was curious about the world. And as many of you know, in the, the mythology or the, the story of young Siddhartha, he escaped uh, at, at night and sought to have a uh, more intimate view of the world outside of his protected life. And he met people over the the days when he would venture out who were ill. So he saw illness. He saw old people who were struggling with things that come with old age. And he saw people who had died and the people who were attending to the bodies of those who had died. Illness, old age, and death. And this is the part of the story that's often emphasized, but there's one more meeting which he had, which sometimes isn't spoken of as much. He, he met a sage, a wise person, uh, and he saw someone who was somewhat awake or more uh, certainly alert and reflecting on these matters, uh, which propelled him to leave the palace eventually and try to understand this question of, of illness, old age, and death, which are the very, very things that I think um, one has to contemplate at a certain age, uh, at any age, but it's certainly more intimate as one, one grows older. There's a small uh, verse that was written by a Zen monk who died in 
of the year 1360, at the age of 77, that older than I am now, uh, Kozan Ichikyo. And this is the, a, a, a little poem, a death poem, which is the, a form which I'm less familiar with. It's called uh, Sinryu, S-E-N-R-Y-U in English, uh, which is similar to haiku. Um, it's a, a different form. Here, here's his poem. Empty-handed, I entered the world. Barefoot, I leave it. My coming, my going, two simple happenings that got entangled. Uh, I really love this, this poem. Empty-handed, I entered this world. Barefoot, I leave it. My coming, my going, two simple happenings that got entangled. This great matter, this entanglement. We, you know, we also chant all my ancient uh, twisted or tangled karma in the verse of repentance. So what is it about this? Uh, I received an email recently. Um, you know, it's interesting that the stories, the ancient stories of sages and students talk about being visited by uh, uh, gods or goddesses or having visions. I get emails uh, from people all over. <laughs> and just like the wonderful um, questions and teachings that came from Ben a few weeks ago, this is from another another student who had actually been here at Huihualana on Molokai. And after returning from um, the retreat, she was attempting to uh, talk to one of her friends about her experience, which, as you know, is a little bit difficult sometimes to, in words, convey what happens in, in a retreat. But here's the question that came in her email. Uh, this is just a, the part I'd like to focus on anyway. She said, when I returned home, a friend asked me an important question and wondered if you could shed some light. She asked, what is the point of living? She wondered if this is all perfect, then why do we create or manifest humanity? Are we trying to work through something? Which of course suggests imperfection. Perhaps you have a suggested reading. <laughs> what is the point of living? And then there's this uh, assumption, which I'll get to. So I thought maybe as I did with Ben, I would share, you, share my response because it's, this is a, um, a question that points to the very heart of what's on the Han and about illness, old age, and death, and about what the sage was suggesting to the Buddha. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read these, just a couple of little paragraphs from my response to this student's question. I wrote, as to your friend's question, what is the point of living? The point is to live. We are given this amazingly miraculous thing called a life. So we have a responsibility to take care of it and to care for each other. In fact, to care for all things that have been given a life. I have no idea about the larger philosophical or theological issues people have been you know, speculating about these big questions for as long as people have been given lives. And I sense that a good deal of this philosophizing is done out of a vulnerable and maybe fearful attempt to face the existential question of existence in a way that will give them some ground to stand on or some assurance that they're doing the right thing or at least going in the right direction. In our shared spiritual search, we often you know, want answers that are consoling, or at least ones that offer something, rather than nothing. The Buddha actually refused to answer most of these questions, not because they were not important, but they were not the essential questions 
that would actually help inform a life. The question you pose in your note, almost as a quote from your friend, if it's all perfect, then why do we create or manifest humanity, includes some important assumptions. You know, things are perfect, meaning, you've heard me say this before, everything is a perfect manifestation of all the causes and conditions which went into manifesting each thing in each moment. They're not perfect in the way some human might judge them to be, or perfect from the perspective of my preference, that's true. Obviously, many terrible and disappointing things happen. And these are also perfect manifestations of the causes and conditions that went into manifesting them. And human beings are part of that perfection, part of that manifestation, not some uh, separate aberration set aside to ruin nature. We are also a perfect result of everything that went into making us. This is the natural world. Our lives on this earth are temporary. And we may also become perfectly extinct if we allow our self-centered minds to continue to rule the way of our being in the world. Humans are supremely creative and also ruthlessly destructive. But these are just ordinary human ling linguistic descriptions of perfect actions. In other words, naturally interdependent, offered by some person's individual viewpoint. The universe is an equal opportunity employer. Everybody gets a chance. But everyone and everything has to play by the rules. Which means that everything affects everything else and everyone else intimately and without end. So it's probably a good idea to be as awake as we can to what we do and to pay attention to the consequences of how we live our lives. And herein lies maybe my more intimate response to your friend's question. The point is to live a life in the service of the life we've been given. To serve. Our purpose is to support and cherish this miraculous existence so that the perfection of mutual causality, dependent origination, this vast web of one thing arising, might be a little more wholesome and a little more generous for everything and everyone. And of course, I'm making an assumption in my reply as well, that there's no master manipulator calling the shots. You know, there may or may not be I don't know, but that's not what we're discussing here. The lawful contingency of everything is what seems to be in charge. And this Dharma might be called a God or a great spirit or a universal mind or any number of things. But these are, once again, additional human descriptions on top of what is always and already happening as this vast, inconceivable, generous, and terrifying flow that we call this life. There is no perfect existence that is then spoiled by humans arriving. This is a, a human-centered, romantic view. There's only the immense fullness of existence, including humans, at least for now. <laughs> And we're not more or less important than anything else in existence. However, because we've been given the gift 
of these big brains and the ability to imagine and create almost anything, we have an exceptionally big impact on each other and everything else on the planet. I think maybe the point is to pay attention, to care, to love, and to be humble in the face of it all. We don't really know. With a respectful bow, Flint. Empty-handed I enter the world. Barefoot I leave it. My coming, my going. Two simple happenings that get entangled, that got entangled. And you know, what I'm saying in, in a certain way in all of this response to this wonderful question, you know, what's the point of living is to get entangled. Mix it up. Dive in. Be part of everything. But pay attention. And see, are you serving this life that you've been given? Does your way of being in life, um, is it full of humility and gratitude? Or does it express entitlement and separation? It's, it's not a way of, of judging, it's just notice, because it makes a difference. You make a difference. When uh, Kozan Ichikyo uh, wrote this poem in 1360, the little one that I, I keep repeating, you know, it was a, a, um, a, form, a death poem, which was common uh, for monks to do. And be before I finish, you can uh, come forward and we can reflect on these ideas of what's, what's the point. I want to read one more by Myogen Steve Stuckey, who was at the time abbot at San Francisco Zen Center. He died... <clears throat> excuse me, in December 31st of 2013. I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, he, was, he was born in 1946 and died in 2013. He was only 67 years old. I say only. Some people might think that's old, but when you pass that age, it's like, oh, wow. Uh, he was a wonderful teacher, uh, a great friend of, of Zen practice and of Apamata. He was actually visiting Apamata in September, um, around his diagnosis. Uh, he was diagnosed in September and died in, in uh, the end of December. He said he didn't feel too well. His first diagnosis was stage four pancreatic cancer. On December 27th, a few days before his death, this is the poem that he wrote. And I, I, I will share it because it's, it's beautiful, but also in response to my, you know, longer and more descriptive email response. There's a shorter, more poetic version. Myogen wrote, This human body truly is the entire cosmos. Each breath of mine is equally one of yours, my darling. This tender abiding, and he put in quotes, my life, this tender abiding in, quote, my life, is the fierce glowing fire of inner earth linking with all pre-phenomena, flashing to the distant horizon from right here now to just this. Now the horizon itself drops away. Bodhi Swaha. Which is a, a classical ending. The, the greatness of, of uh, awakening of being beyond all conception. This human body truly is the entire cosmos. Living in this body is, is the point. That's, it's all of life. It's everything. Each breath of mine is equal and one of yours, my darling. Really, each breath is in service to everything else and is intimately linked 
as if we were breathing close, like the Hawaiians do in putting their forehead together and their noses together and sharing aloha, the breath, ha. This tender abiding in my life, what I call my life, is actually this inconceivable, what he calls the fierce glowing fire of inner earth. We see the cauldron at Kilauea right now glowing with lava coming up hundreds of feet over the last, this fierce glowing fire of inner life linked with all pre-phenomena. The vast karma with no beginning, no end, flashing to the distant horizon, moving in what looks like time from right here now to just this, and now the horizon disappears. There is no edge. It drops away. Bodhisattva. Have you, how are you living your life? This is the point of practice. This is the point of living. Our practice is just to remind us. So that together we live in a way that's once again more wholesome, more generous, maybe a bit more kind. But it's, it's the big question. It's the great matter. So please come forward and raise your hand. And we can meet around these uh, important and essential things or questions that you have. Don't, don't think that any question that you have is too simple or mundane or foolish or whatever judgment you might have. It's important that we meet. That's the whole point of inquiry, really, <laughs> is the meeting, not my speaking. Maybe it's actually to take care of each other. <clears throat> I, uh, first of all, thank you always. And uh, what a powerful moment and experience it was to be with our Sangha members and hear your uh, talk this week, too. Um, and, and thank you for your reflections through the imagery. Mm. Um, you know, uh, this idea of like just the difference between being alive and living is something that's been up for me. So I, I felt in, in tune with what was uh, being talked about. So that was touching. But also I noticed like my resistance to do things that I think would make my life messy. Messy. That, yeah, that there's, you know, and so that, you know, embracing the tangle was something that I'm not sure I do. I tend to keep myself a little bit safer and a little bit more distant um, than doing something that I think would work out in the end to be painful or messy or uh, like an overwhelming emotional experience. Or scary. Scary. <laughs> so uh, I guess I'm noticing that particularly with uh, this uh new person that may or may not be in my life. I keep calling them half dates. People are just like, no, you're going on a date. No, 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 it's a half date. I'm only half, I'm only engaging halfway because I realize that I'm only engaging halfway. She is in your life. She is in my life, um, but, but barely. And um, she's completely in your life. You barely meet her. Yeah, so that, that, that. Uh-huh. But you do. Yeah. I do, and I give more energy to the stopping than I do the going. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you know that. Look, Cassidy, I'm scared a lot of the time. I don't mean crippling, maybe. But I meet fear and uncertainty, and I don't know. It's kind of like the big secret that everybody hides. How scared they are. Now, practice sometimes makes me less frightened, but sometimes it doesn't. But practice does help me keep going, even though I'm frightened. 
Because it's the way we engage. You know, when I just said, Cassie, I'm scared a lot of the time. Did that seem intimate to you? Yeah. Imagine you saying that to her. Is it your version, not that. Okay, so so here's what the fear is, is that I'm going to uh, offer a level of intimacy that I'm not committed to with her, and I'm afraid of hurting her. A lot of assumptions in there, in there. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. And what, right. if, you, what if you said that? Yeah, I could say that. This is the, this is the tangle of, I enjoy being with you and I get scared. Yeah. I'm afraid I'm not going to take the right step and it'll mess things up. Do you ever feel that? Just ask. Do you ever feel that, any of that? Yeah. Otherwise, all you do, you're, we all do this. We, we posture, we protect, we hope we don't, and end up missing out on the intimacy that's available. It may work out, it may not, I don't know. But it certainly is that if you don't tell the truth and don't show up. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think it's really important to trust. If there's someone that you want to be friends with and close with, trust them to take good care of themselves. If you keep protecting them, then you're setting up a way of relating that's going to carry on. That's not fully authentic. Yeah. If you're going to be intimate, you're going to be scared. That's the way it goes, because that's called vulnerability. And that's not all you're going to feel, though. You're going to feel excitement. You're going to feel joy. You feel confusion. You're probably going to get pissed off. All kind of things. And 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 I'm okay with all of that. But what I don't seem to be okay with is that I see like this path of pain, like all the struggles that that I, I and I. Yeah. If you don't want that, don't get in relationships. Mm. Comes with the territory. No matter what the cause is, yeah, right. Trying to make one cause of the pain like mean more than not. I'd like a relationship that has all love and no pain. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> there's stories about that in movies, but yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. <laughs> Can I tell you a small story? Sure. So on, on Friday night, my birthday night, Aaron and I went to this. We did what we like to do. We go to a fancy restaurant, you know, went to a really nice restaurant at a beautiful resort in Honolulu near Diamond Head. I mean, it was gorgeous and beautiful and a wonderful experience. And as we, we came to our table, it was a beautiful card and a mightily lay. You've seen the men's lays that are open, that are leaves, not flowers, you know, mm -hmm. uh, offered for my, as a birthday present. And it was from the folks at the, the Hui family, you know, mm -hmm. Raman and Ricky and Jan. And they had, of course, found out we were going to be there and made sure that it, it was there. And, and so uh, I opened it up and read the card. And, and the, a young man came over. We found out a young Korean man who looked like the sommelier, beautiful black suit, you know how it is, gloves, everything. And he asked us about what was happening. Then he asked us about the two of us. And we ended up saying that we had been together for 41 years. And he was like, and it was clear over time since he didn't leave and wanted to know much of our story, that he probably was uncomfortable being who he was, but interested in who we were. And finally, he said, your story is so inspiring. Uh, because he was afraid, you know, I think. I don't know, but I think he was. And he felt something. Mm -hmm. You know, so we enjoyed our meal. And as we left, Aaron and I <laughs> looked at each other. And it's like, this beautiful lay is going to be crumpled in a suitcase. <laughs> and it will dry up, you know. And it will dry beautifully, that's true. But instead, I went over to the young man and put it on him. And he, like, you don't have to do this. And I said, I know, but you took our photo and this was important apparently, so we want to pass it on, you know, and then we just left. See, in getting tangled up, 
like the lay and, and like the relationships and taking a chance. And sometimes there's beautiful moments like that and sometimes there aren't, but take a chance. This is the only life you got, girl, you know? this working? I can't tell. I don't see you, but I hear you. Oh, I have to open the curtain too. Okay. There you are. Okay. As hidden as I can be. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm glad you took the Oh, yeah. Thank you, Cassie. I, she's so brave, I think. She is. I've known her for a long time and she's been nothing but brave, even though she's scared. Yep. Yep. So, um, and Thank you for all of what you teach. And um, the Sangha that I've been just watching for the last few months. Mm -hmm. It's nice, yeah. But something strong is moving in you as you do. It is. Um, being, I guess, being vulnerable in a new community. Yeah. When I really want to be a part and um, I feel very new, very new. I sent a little, um, a note that went to Appamata yesterday and I was looking things up to try and get my terminology right because I'm so new with all this practice. And the first thing you said on here, I thought, you know what? I got the first thing that I wrote wrong. <laughs> So it's just very, just very, um, not that it, it's not a big deal. It's just a little bit embarrassing. Um, and that's, the, that's that edge that we step into if we want to be close. Yes. We're going to make missteps and bump into each other. But that's why it's important to care for each other. You're so immensely generous and so kind. Thank you. There's a lot of that here. Thank you for meeting it. Very comfortable to be in a community like that. And I know. And you can stumble along with the rest of us. <laughs> and I will stumble. Good, good, please, please, please do. Thank you. Yeah, like when we've been together, you know, and with photography mm -hmm. and just see what happens, you know, do your best, but, but beauty comes out of it. Indeed, it does. And I'm glad you're letting yourself be seen and heard today. So people, even if it's not, um, people aren't right in front of you, but you can see their faces, they can welcome you. <laughs> that you are part of this community. You're not outside of it. You're already held. And now you're just uh, stepping in and saying, you know, here I am. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we have Lisa next. There you go. I good. You good? You're really good, Lisa. Okay. It's good to see you. Wait a minute. Let me get that window off. So I want to talk about something I don't want to talk about, mm -hmm. and I don't know why. You know, I wasn't able to be part of inquiry for the past month. I really missed it. Mm -hmm. So a couple of months ago, something happened to me that was <laughs> odd but ordinary. And that's one morning I noticed there was a space inside of me that didn't exist before. And I had some imagery around it and it was kind of bifurcated. And then it kind of, the bifurcation kind of dissolved and opened up. And that same morning that I experienced that, um, when I went to pick up a clove of garlic to slice it, <laughs> And it wasn't hard to pick up. <sighs> I mean, I feel really embarrassed about it. 
in a way that everything that should be a small thing from making my bed to doing the dishes. It's been so hard. Mm -hmm. And over the next days and weeks, um, I felt energy moving through my body in places where it hadn't been before. This is the space you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, it's my energy's been very blocked. I knew that. There's been, you've told me before when I kept, I've been terrified most of my life of being alone because I couldn't connect. I could not. I was behind such a thick, thick uh, wall. I couldn't push through it. And, you know, all these things are interrelated. I can't express them. Uh, it's been on my mind a lot. And really, who can I tell? It doesn't make sense, but it does make sense. And it makes sense to me. I've known you long enough. You've known me long enough. So I know I've had many symptoms of trauma. You've never given up. Yeah, what an idiot. No, <laughs> you've continued to, to follow me around and ask me questions because huh? you've continued to follow me around and ask me questions, even at the, even fearing that you might alienate me or something by doing so. But you've you saw something that you wanted and you kept moving towards it. And we've had a pretty good go at it, haven't we, Lisa? And you've opened more and more space. It's kind of like, um, so it was so important in my life because I had to get through every day. And um, it was in my face. I mean, really, even I've always felt that's very much the cause of the accident I have. Because knowing I don't have energy throughout the day, I just have to push through to do to do the best I can to show up in the world. And so I don't have that feeling of just pushing through. Mm. It seems mm -hmm. ordinary as, oh, you know, like now I'm an amputee. Being an amputee has become normal. Mm -hmm. Oh, having this energy available is already becoming normal. Good. And why would I feel so embarrassed about this? That's my question. What a mystery. I guess I feel really vulnerable. I mean, I have never cried about it until just now and look at me it's just like uh sharing <laughs> it with people who can get it well look what you're doing with your head it's almost oh, no. as if you're trying to make it smaller or hold it back or something <laughs> here's the here's the message i think you didn't ever get when you were little and this is more like therapeutic in a way but it's important because it's it's this this why live you know it's like at least it's okay for you to be here fully it's okay for you to come forward completely with all you are. You don't have to hold back, be small. You don't have to cut off parts of your heart or your soul or your mind or your fingers or your feet. It's okay to come forward completely with all this energy, just like you are. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And a huge part of that imagery the first day was a heart like a literal muscular heart mm -hmm. um i mean it's just like what i'm having now it's like more profound than any of the thoughts it's gotten out of my head into my body so all waking up is more profound than you thought and it's not different than cassie it's not different than cassie saying oh i want to move forward with all my heart into this relationship or pam saying i want to step into this community and be known and it's just, just the Lisa version. Yeah. That's what it feels like. But it couldn't happen. It couldn't happen if it weren't for you. 
it couldn't happen if it weren't for sangha. It couldn't happen if it weren't for practice. I mean, that's what um, I feel so fortunate. I could, I don't know. I think that's what Pam was saying too. So the space that opened for you more than ever is the space that's always been between us that you've been invited into with practice and relationship. And at this point in your life, for some reason, you're starting to step into it finally more fully. It's a mystery. It is a mystery. That's why I said at the end of all that stuff I wrote, we don't really know. Yeah. But with a respectful bow, yeah. I receive. I'm appreciating my life and appreciating your life and appreciating the life that we share. <clears throat> you remember that beautiful story you told about when you were essentially in a coma and your brother was there holding your hand and you could feel inside the turn toward him, even though you didn't even know what it was. That's the space that's opening more fully. And it's such a grace, isn't it? It's a grace. It's a grace. That's right. I really love it when you do gasho and I can see your fingers. Those fingers. <laughs> the ones you've lost. <laughs> because yeah. Yeah, there, there's certain parts of your body that were relinquished in the service of all this. Oh. But here you are, you know. So glad you're alive. Thank you. Yeah. And just a small note, many of you don't know, we were talking about a, a near fatal automobile accident many years ago, but that's what we're talking about. Darcy. Hi, Darcy. Am I on? <laughs> uh, you, you are. You're not moving. Can you see me? Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a little, a little glitchy, but you're here. Well, I think you're frozen. We have lost you. I, I don't know if you... Yeah. There you go. Okay. So I guess my internet connection is unstable. Yeah. But... Uh, okay. Well, I'll try. I, I wanted to ask you, because I didn't catch it, um, the, the poem that this friend of Apamata who died December 31st, 2013, I didn't catch his name. And I know I've heard you tell stories of him before. Who is that? His uh, given name was Steve Stuckey, and Myogen, M-Y-O-G-E-N, was his Dharma name, and he was the abbot at San Francisco Zen Center. Okay. He's a great guy. Anyway, I don't know if I can even talk about it, but it was very moving to me, that poem, and I'd like to have it. Oh, sure. I'll, I'll make sure Cassie has it so when she posts the um, <clears throat> the video that it will be on there. There's, um, I'm going to look up something here for you because there's another, um, uh, another piece to this, um, which I didn't share, uh, but we're kind of at the end of our time, but I, I wanted to, when he, when, when, when Steve first reported to the Sangha that he had this cancer, he, in his letter, not his death poem, but months before in his letter, he ended with two small, very small poems at the end of it. And one of them was from Dogen. To what shall I like in this life? Moonlight reflected in dewdrops, 
shaken from a crane's bill. A beautiful imagery of impermanence and fragility. To what shall I liken this life? Moonlight, reflected in dewdrops shaken from a crane's bill. But one of the things that you'd have to know is that Steve was, um, he loved uh, jazz and he played guitar. And so he also added a line from uh, Blind Lemon Jefferson, who's supposedly the person who was the founder of Texas blues. And the blues were really his favorite. And these are the lines that he quoted from this man from the 1800s. I got trouble in my mind, Lord. I believe I'm fixing to die. I got trouble in my mind, Lord. I believe I'm fixing to die. Well, I don't mind dying. I just hate to leave my children crying. So I think Milton was saying, I think I'm going to die. And it's not, that's not what's hard. What's hard is leaving. And whether you're the mother or the daughter, it's the leaving that's the hard part. Not just the dying, the, the break, the loss of that space that we've been, that we share just for a while, like this evanescent dewdrop, you know. So I thought that was also really uh, powerful and important. I'll make sure you have them all. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks you for continuing to inhabit this space with all of us. As we come to the end of our time, let's, <clears throat> let's repeat the four practice principles as we do to remind ourselves of this practice that each of you has suggested has been so important. And remember, as we repeat it, it doesn't suggest that practicing in this way, letting go of the self-centered dream, meeting each moment, opening to the space is going to make us feel uh, happy and less scared. It said it will open us to compassion's way, compassion for the fear and with the fear. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you so much for bringing your life to meet my life. Jessica? Papamata's programs and facilities are supported by your generous kindness. Thank you all so much for all that you do. Uh, you may make a contribution on the website at apamata.org and please indicate what you'd like the contribution to go towards. Um, and now I will find Maria. And if you can stay after, please feel free to stay after and chat and get to know everyone. Um, Maria will be the host. <laughs> 